You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. We'll be reading from the NIV, and today's passage will be from Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, followed by 19 to 37. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority will be, has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live like the wild animals. Live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. 
Then I praised the Most High. I, I honoured and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let me just move this stuff out of the way. It's a good thing this passage is all about humility <laughs> today. Can I pray as we study the Bible? Father God, we do praise you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet, a path to walk on, the way of truth. Lord, would you give us ears to hear you speak today, that we might see the Lord as the most high and sovereign Lord of all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, like Jamie, I've been enjoying the Olympics this week. And uh, as well as cheering on British success, a highlight for me was watching Fiji win the men's rugby sevens. Anyone else tune in for that? Yeah, I was actually watching it as I was prepping this sermon, so that's partly why it's been included this week. Um, and not just for their action on the pitch, which was incredible, but what happened at the final whistle. Here was a bunch of guys winning their nation's second ever Olympic medal after they won the rugby five years ago. It's a nation of just 800,000 people, and what did they do when they won the gold medal match to the final whistle? There was no bravado. There was no look at me. There was no puffing up of their chests. They sank to their knees and pointed up to heaven and gave thanks to God. It was remarkable. Later, they gathered together and they sung this hymn. We have overcome. We have overcome. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord, we have overcome. It was beautiful because it was a rare moment of humility. There was no look at me, but thanks be to God, to him be the glory. I'm sure it's not just me that just hates proud people, right? Be it ex-American presidents or footballers who fall over and put their chests out, or businessmen and women boasting about something on the train, or parents going on about little Johnny and how good he is on the recorder. We hate people that are over-proud, don't we? We're drawn to humility, but put off by the proud. Here's what C.S. Lewis writes in uh, Mere Christianity. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine they're guilty of themselves. There is no fault that makes a man more unpopular and no fault of which we are more unconscious of in ourselves than that of pride. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Well, what does that say about me? <laughs> Did you hear that? There's a bit perhaps we agree with, 
There's no fault that makes a man more unpopular than pride. Yes, you might say a big amen to that. But then he says, the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. There's no one free of it. But few of us might admit it. There's no fault which we're more unconscious of in ourselves than our pride. Well, I wonder if you would agree with that. It can be hard to discern, right? But aren't you someone like me who flips out when someone challenges us or tells us we've done something wrong? Don't we look for recognition and praise perhaps more than we should? Don't we think about ourselves quite a lot in the day? Either in in praise of ourselves or perhaps in self-pity of ourselves. Isn't our goal often glory, our fame and our praise, pride instead of humility? Look at me instead of look up at God's. And that's what we're thinking about today. So our, we start our passage, if you had it read, and uh, keep open. The Red Bible's are back, hooray. So if you want to follow along, there should be uh, in a chair in front of you. King Nebuchadnezzar in a rare moment of humility. Uh, chapter 4 is like one of those books where you get the ending first and you have to figure out how we got there. Right? So verse 1 to 3 is kind of like the conclusion. That's where he, he reached at the end. And then the rest of our chapter makes us think, how did he get to this point? And what do we see in verse 1? It's like this sort of BBC news bulletin. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, to everyone out there, I've got this message for you. Verse 2, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This king in the last chapter built this flipping great statue in honour of him. Come and praise and worship that, he says. Whereas now what's he writing about? It's not himself anymore, is it? Let me tell you about the wonders of the most high gods. And it's not impersonal, it's not Daniel's God anymore. That he's performed for me. Verse 3, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom, he's talking about his kingdom, not his His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Dominion endures from generation to generation. How great is he, Nebuchadnezzar says. So the question as we go through our text is, how has he got there? (laughs) How has he changed from this, this boasting, this proud mountain now, giving praise and glory to God? That's what we're thinking about. And as we go, I hope this is something of of a warning to you. Perhaps you'll see something of yourself in Nebuchadnezzar, slightly uncomfortably. All of us, as C.S. Lewis said, prone to be proud, but not very good at seeing it. But ultimately, our prayer this morning is that we'll see God, as Nebuchadnezzar did, as the most high God, greater than everything else. Because that is the path to true humility. There's three main scenes in our passage. We'll look at the bit that wasn't read. It was just a little bit too long to read it all this morning. So three main scenes. First scene, the dream described. Then we've got the dream interpreted. And then finally, the dream is fulfilled. So first then, the dream described from verse 4. We start there. Nebuchadnezzar, he's at home. He's in the palace. He's contented and prosperous. It's the start, isn't it? The root, often, of our pride. He sat at home, and you can imagine, look at all's around me. My home, my stuff, my achievements. In some ways, there's good sort of being proud at doing a job well, I think. 
there's, there's reasons we can be, be proud, perhaps, for our children or, or someone we've done, but not this pride, contented, prosperous. And verse 5, God shakes up the scene. He gives him this dream. We've been there before, haven't we, back in chapter 2? A dream. He's troubled. And he hasn't really learned at this point, so he sends off for the wise guys once again, verse 6 and 7. And they're like, now we can't do it. So finally, he sends for Daniel. Daniel, who can interpret the dream. And what's the dream? It's a tree. A tree, a big tree. A tree that touched the sky... Think of the Tower of Babel, able to reach up oh, excuse me, to the heavens, the gods. A tree that's wide, visible to the ends of the earth. It's a tree, verse 12, who's, well, that's fruitful, that's beautiful, that's abundant, that animals feed and shelter. And then it changes, verse 13. A messenger, an angel comes down with this message. And the message, verse 14, cut down the tree. This big and beautiful tree, cut it down. And leave just a stump and its roots. And then something funny happens at the halfway through verse 15. The tree becomes a hymn. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants. Let his mind be changed. This man that then becomes animal-like. And if you've zoomed off that bit, zoom in with me at, at verse 17. This is a key verse. It's sort of like the chorus of this passage. It comes up three times, this line. Why is he having this dream? Why is this all going on? So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign, is Lord over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. It's why uh, God has given Nebuchadnezzar this dream and brings in Daniel to interpret it. Why? That he might be humbled. That he might know that the Most High, the Lord, is sovereign. He is the Lord, not Nebuchadnezzar. God in his kindness is stepping in to Nebuchadnezzar's ignorance and his pride. He's speaking to him before it's too late, before he dies, that he might bow the knee now to come and see that he isn't the big boss. (laughs) No, it's the Lord's. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. God's giving him this troubling dream. He's bringing in trouble to wake him up. Come to your senses. God is God and you're not. Church, I wonder if that's happened for you. Where have you had to swallow your pride or your independence or your self-sufficiency, or your boasting, and come to your knees and say, I'm not God, but you are the most high. If you've never done it, do it. The Lord is the most high king. The dream's described, which then leads us to scene two. The dream is interpreted. And as we see this, let's uh, zoom in a little bit on Daniel and what he does here. Three C's about Daniel, okay? First, Compassion. You see Daniel's compassion. Verse 19, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has told him this dream and he's perplexed. He's terrified. It's not as if, oh, I don't know the answer, I can't interpret it. 
It's because he knows it that he's so perplexed. He knows this dream is speaking bad to Nebuchadnezzar, that it speaks of God's judgment to come on him, and he has compassion. Daniel takes no pleasure in God's justice and judgment coming down on Nebuchadnezzar for his prize. He has compassion. Yet second, he shows candor. Candor? Candor. He speaks truth to power. Do you see that? He's not going to mince his words, but he's going to go for it. He interprets to him the dream. He likes the bit about being a big tree, but not so much the bit about being cut down. He says, and the interpretation, what, 24? You are the tree, but you will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox, and be drenched with the dew of heaven seven times, maybe seven years or, or an, a complete amount of time will pass by until, notice this verse again, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. He's speaking to the most powerful man alive and he says, God's going to do this to you. He speaks truth to power, with candor, with courage to speak God's word. And third, he offers counsel. Do you see that verse 27? Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And maybe that then your prosperity will continue. He's saying renounce your sins. Humble yourself, turn back to God, and that judgment may not fall on you. It's striking what a gift God has given to Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king. How patient he's been with him. All we've seen so far in the book of Daniel has been God speaking, reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar, even though he's been proud and arrogant. He's given Daniel and his dreams and the the three chaps whose names I can't pronounce that we looked at last week to to show him the glory and wonder of God. He says, even now, Nebuchadnezzar, renounce your sins, turn back to God, acknowledge him as the most high God, the sovereign king of all. Church, do we need to do that this morning? To acknowledge that God is God and you are not. To repent and renounce your sins and turn back to him. God exposes his sin here and calls him to renounce, to return, to repent. We see Daniel with compassion, with candor and with great, uh, and a calling, counsel. It's lots of seeds there, isn't it, to return. And third then, our third scene, the dream is fulfilled. Notice verse 29. Twelve months later. God's patient. That's a whole year. A whole year has passed since he's called and clearly he hasn't returned. Nebuchadnezzar is very stubborn. He's quick to forget. He hasn't heeded the warning. And do you see what he's doing? Verse 30, he's walking up on the roof of the palace. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my 
majesty, I, my. He's saying, look at me. <laughs> look, acknowledge me. Bring glory to me. And to be fair, this was a pretty amazing scene he was looking at. These walls of the city were so fit that thick that chariots could pass each other. That's thick, man. They were about 40 feet high and 17 miles long. There was a bridge 400 feet long. That's pretty big back then <laughs> to cross over the Euphrates. He's got three palaces, three. And one of them is those hanging gardens people chat about, one of the seven wonders of the ancient worlds. And he's saying, look at me. I've done it. Bring me glory. And there's a sense there's good feelings of being proud, isn't there? For working hard and seeing a job well done. For achieving something. For someone showing good character. You might feel proud about that. But for Nebuchadnezzar, it's totally self-absorbed. Look what I have done by my power for my glory. I am powerful. It's all about me. And do you see what God does to people that show this pride, but don't acknowledge him? He steps in and humbles him. It's quite a shocking scene. Verse 33, it is fulfilled. Immediately what has been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate, yeah, get this, ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails ugh, like claws of a bird. He was this great king, this superhuman person. Well, he's humbled. And he appears almost subhuman, like an animal. Today, if you're a medic, you might know the condition boanthropy. Still a thing. Someone imagines themselves like a cow or a bull and acts accordingly. It seems to be what's going on here. The one who refused to honour God's glory is now stripped of it. And we see verse 32 just before, that chorus line again. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The dream's fulfilled. The warning wasn't heeded. And Nebuchadnezzar is well and truly humbled. But it doesn't end there. That's not how we got to the, the, those words at the start of chapter 4. So come with me to verse 34, this conclusion. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. What a glorious verse. What does the sane person do? What does the reasoning person do? It's not just looking at me and at my achievements. He raises his eyes to heaven. He prays the most high and honoured and glorified who? God. Him who lives forever. Isn't that beautiful? He praises and exalts, not himself for his achievements, but God, he says, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
of verse 37, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. Everything he does is right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that's that. That's the last that we hear of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. We end the chapter how we begun it. He's humbled. He's brought low and now he lifts up high. God, the God most high. God, the one who's powerful, whose rule is forever, who's our creator and Lord, who's worthy to be looked at, to be honoured, to be exalted and glorified. So what about you this morning? Where does pride or or self-absorption come through? Either in this bold and bloated way or perhaps in a a self-focused and and negative way. Where is it for you at the workplace tomorrow? Is it glory to me for my achievements? Is my boss Lord so I live to please him? Or is Jesus the most high God and King of kings? So we pray as we go to work, Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. I live for you. Where does it look like at home? Is it glory to me when the kids behave and they say, I love you, daddy, or they quote the Bible to you? Is it glory to me for that? Or glory to God? He is the one who made all things. Any joy or or blessing we see now, we say thanks to God, the giver of all good things. When you look in the mirror, do we think too much about ourselves in a positive or perhaps negative way? Or do we say, God, you are the most high God. Thank you for making me who you I am. Help me to honour you as God and Lord. And how do we do that if it's hard? Well, the answer is Nebuchadnezzar's answer. What did he do? He raised his eyes towards heaven. And his sanity was restored. Church, we lift our heads up. When we see God... And he is big. He is the most high God. He's our creator. His is the dominion and kingdom forever. Then what we do (laughs) and our achievements and our boasts, well, they're a bit ridiculous, aren't they? (laughs) They're insane. To use the language of this passage, we raise our eyes to heaven and our sanity is restored. You're dust. From dust you are made and to dust you will return. You're created, not the creator. Yet, yes, you are loved and you have dignity and made in his image and redeemed to be a people. And yes, you have gifts you've been given, not to self-exalt, but to humbly serve one another. See, humility isn't saying, I'm just weak and low and to be pitied. That's self-absorption and focus. Humility is not just looking down. It's not looking at us, but it's looking up, it's raising our eyes to heaven and seeing the Lord. And get this, 
When we see the Lord, who's the most high God, the sovereign Lord, who do we see? We see the Lord who wonderfully would step down. Isn't this remarkable? The Lord who, who doesn't look to his own interest, but being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Isn't that glorious? We serve a humble Lord <laughs> who would come and die for us. Praise the Lord today. He's more loving than we could imagine. His rule is kinder and higher than we could think. He is mightier than stronger than we could ever compre- comprehend. So we look to him. He's the one who died for you. He is the one who's building the church. He is the one who is the most high Lord and sovereign of all. So he is the one we come and exalt and praise and glorify through our words and our actions and our thoughts. He is the one at work changing us. Because when we see him as our matchless king and Lord, our humble saviour and Lord, that's when our eyes and our hearts and our affections and our passions, they get lifted up from us and they get placed on the Lord. We lift our eyes up and our sanity is restored. And that, what does that let us do? It lets us go low and love and serve each other. Church, who is the Lord? He is the most high God. So today, what do we do? We come and bow our knees to him. We humble ourselves in his presence. Today, tomorrow, and to the end of your days. And we know he is the one who lifts us up, who says, you are righteous. You're part of my family. You've been given gifts to serve others. And we follow him our sovereign Lord and God. Let me finish by these words of Paul from Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, who who has been his counsellor. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For from him and through him And for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we do come and acknowledge that you are our most high God. We praise you that you are the most high God who would come and serve us. And Lord, help us lift our eyes to heaven. Help us think more of you and less of ourselves. Help us in humility be those who love and serve you and love and serve others. And Lord, help us to listen to you and your words beyond what we think of ourselves and beyond what others think of us. And we praise you, the most high and sovereign Lord today. In Jesus' name. Amen.
You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.